Welcome to the second episode of The Cleft's Edge. My name is Paul Weens, and I am here with Kathleen Allen. Before Kathleen says hello, I wanted to say a bit about her. So Kathleen is a conductor, a composer, and a soprano. And currently, she is the Director of Choral Studies and Associate Conductor of the Symphony Orchestra at Vancouver Academy of Music. She is the Artistic Director of Canzona, which is Winnipeg's professional Baroque Choral Ensemble. She is an Associate Conductor of the Vancouver Bach Choir. And finally, she is the Founding Artistic Director of Arcora a new music collective dedicated to contemporary vocal chamber music. Now, Kathleen, what did I get right there and what did I get wrong? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Um, that, that sounds good. Okay. Um, our Cora was founded jointly between me and my husband. So okay. um, he does a lot of the planning and the management, and I'm sort of the music director of that organization. We have a lot of fun working with singers and players of all all kinds of okay so why don't genres. we dig into our cora first? sure yeah. how new is our cora and what was the idea when you formed it uh, did you see the need to fill a gap or was it more just a personal interest project yeah what was it about um our cora came about originally when uh, my husband benton rock wrote a song cycle that uh, he wrote the text for it and he wrote the music for it and it really kind of blends his songwriting band output with his compositional sort of classical quote-unquote um output and this piece really brought those things together for him artistically i sang the cycle it's for electric guitar and percussion uh, an electronic track viola a bass flute and soprano uh so it we really loved the, the the colors that came about this and we ended up finding a really great group of collaborators on these instruments. So we released a CD of this piece, we toured it, we did it in New York and at a new music festival in St. John's and in Austin and um, and we realized that we liked having this network of amazing musicians who are also our friends all over the continent and uh, that we would try to bring them together once in a while. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we've commissioned a number of composers to write for us, some of whom are also playing in the ensemble. And right now the group consists of eight singers, um, and cello, violin, percussion, electric guitar, and piano. Okay. So we've had one, one iteration of that project, which involves a number of commissions. There's a microtonal aspect. We like pairing works from the Renaissance and earlier with newly composed works for newly built instruments. Kind of a long story. (laughs) (laughs) But we have a lot of fun with it. It's sort of our experimental output that our friends and us uh, enjoy just creating together. So is this something when you go on a tour, because I like getting into the operational sense of Mm -hmm. things as well, not just the artistic sense. Yeah. um, I know as someone who has been on the side of applying for grants, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that that's very important for arts organizations. Yeah. So when you say you've had the opportunity already to tour, perform in different places, yeah. is that something you had to undergo go with Arcora as well, yeah. going through the funding, selling tickets, et cetera, et cetera? On that particular tour, we actually worked with some different music, local musicians in each place. Okay. Um, I sang the cycle in every location, um, but the the exact roster switched up a little bit, so it wasn't like we were trying to travel with ten people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one logistical element. Um, also, we were 
on festivals or series. So they kind of, we reached out and they liked the sound of our sort of scratch yes. recordings that we had to, to show them what it would, would sound like. Mm -hmm. We had a little bit of video footage from the premiere and they decided that it would fit their series or, or their festival in the case of Sound Symposium in St. John's. Um, so there was a small fee, you know, associated with that. Yes. And it, it was, we got to um, get, get it off the ground in a sense with the help of those presenters. Church of the Friendly Ghost in Austin was the series that okay. we sang at, and uh, Earheart Music at Roulette in Brooklyn presented us on their series. So that must have been an amazing opportunity, mm -hmm. especially you said that was the first thing that you got yeah. into as Arcora. Yeah, that's right. So that was something that mm -hmm. probably really promoted the organization and really got your name further than a lot of projects could have as the first iteration of a project. I think so. We were lucky to be able to do that one piece and really take it to its full fruition. We commissioned a film to go with the New York Holy performance. Smokes. And then actually um, the filmmaker's name was Jean Stern and she uh, lives in Austin and had the connection to the series there. So mm -hmm. that's wh how we got down south Wow. that production. So it was all just kind of... Uh, tumbling forward in a direction we weren't sure where where it was going but we really got to see that piece through and then decided it was something we wanted to continue and, and generate more work with okay so now our Cora moving forward yeah. uh, what is the general sense of what you want to do with that group being a co-founder with your husband and yeah. trying to figure out where to go from here our main goal is is to to explore the timbral possibilities the colors that come with with eight really highly trained voices and and string instruments, as well as this, um, I'll tell you about the, the, the new instrument. It's called the Lumophone, and it's a 31-tone equal-tempered glass berimba. Naturally. Is there information about um, this somewhere on <laughs> yeah. the web? Okay. Yeah, there's some really great videos. Uh, there's a couple of etudes that Benton wrote for it that kind of demonstrate its tonal possibilities. Um, and getting singers to, to sing in this tuning system was kind of fun. Um, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> fun to watch. Fun so to it, just, I don't want to dive too far in. Yeah, that's okay. But uh, just to ask, what is the tuning system? Or is it explainable? Yeah, yeah. So, so like on the piano, there are 12 tones in an octave. On this instrument, there are 31. So it works out to about five tones per whole tone on the piano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, I've heard about singing in quarter tones. Yeah, it's, it's even a little bit smaller Unbelievable. Than that. Yeah, it's basically quarter tones, but... There's no enharmonic equivalence, so C sharp and D flat are different things. So it goes C, C half sharp, C sharp, yep. D flat, D half flat, D. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. so interesting because obviously Western music is very much based on C, C sharp or D flat. Right, yes. And then D. Yeah. So you're saying C, C sharp. C, C half sharp, half C sharp, sharp, C sharp, D flat, D half flat, D. Yeah. So there's five intervals within there. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. So uh. what we need to do is we need to create a piano uh -huh. that is playable. Yeah. In 31 different tones mm -hmm. in an octave. Well, there was actually this Renaissance composer in the 16th century named Nicola Vincentino, and he built instruments in this system. Okay. And wrote vocal music in this tuning system and really believed that it unlocked some of the mystical properties of music and that it was like a really expressive and important tool for sacred music. 
Um, so th we actually performed some of his motets, and there are really interesting uh, possibilities when you can you can have a perfectly just tuned major chord, mm -hmm. but it's between the tones. I, so, I was going to say that exact thing. Mm -hmm. it, same thing in quarter tones. If yeah. everyone adjusts by a quarter tone, yeah. they're still singing that perfect harmonic structure, yep. which still has those formants that go woo! Yeah, exactly, exactly. And string players can do that, and this percussion instrument can do that, and of course singers have that capability to adjust if they have really amazing ears and well, a lot of practice. So. But I, what I would believe is it's just, what is your starting note? If your starting note is a quarter tone, mm. that is what everyone tunes to, yep. because unless you have perfect pitch, you don't really yeah. know any better, or relative pitch. Yeah. Uh, Totally. Very and interesting. The beautiful things about these pieces are that you can you can do both. So they they kind of slide in and out of it. It feels kind of like underwater Renaissance music. It's yes. like a little bit um, you you lose track of where you are. At least I do. Like when my ears usually I have a pretty good sense of you know where the tonic is at any moment. And then with this <laughs> shifting by by thirty first of an octave, like. It, it it kind of it really brings you out of yourself and out of this realm and it sort of transports you so i'll send you some recordings there's some pretty wow. cool stuff in there okay and when you send those recordings i'll include them as awesome. links on great wherever i'm putting this website yeah. <laughs> check out um jonathan wild he's a professor at mcgill in music theory okay he's um one of the foremost researchers on this composer vicentino and and uh, has published a lot on the system, he's also a beautiful composer and is writing for our group. So, so this 31 yeah. note system, you said there's an instrument that can play these notes? Yeah, well... And that's what you were saying? Um, my Benton built yes. a glass marimba that, yeah. can, that plays in this, this tuning system. Now, is it um, just within the tuning system in one octave or... Three octaves. Three octaves. It's like nine and a half feet long. It takes up most of our living room. So, 93 <laughs> notes. Yeah. How many are on a full-length piano? Is it 90 88, 88 to a regular piano. So we only get three octaves on this thing, but there's more, <laughs> more keys. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm a piano player and I want to play an octave, my fingers won't yeah. quite... Yeah, exactly. That's why we have the, the mallets of the marimba. And very few percussionists are, are bold enough to, to try out this thing, but we've lucky, we're lucky to have found a couple of them who are who are willing of course yeah. <laughs> yeah. it sounds like i could talk a lot more about yeah. this but i want to sort of move on great okay i'm gonna go move backwards in time sure you're from st john's newfoundland yeah. where did you actually grow up in st john's newfoundland and what led you to pursue a life in music that's a really easy question. Um, I was born in St. John's, lived in the same house my whole life. My parents still live in that house. Um, I went to a really fantastic high school called Holy Heart High School, which still is known for its music programs. It was founded by the nuns. Um, there's a giant choral room, a band hallway with practice rooms, a full auditorium. It's the, it's the best performance venue in the city, mm -hmm. is my high school auditorium. Oh, man. Um, so I was really lucky to go there. But before that, when I was eight years old, I, I joined the Newfoundland Symphony Youth Choir, which is now called Shalloway. Um, and they continue to be an extraordinary organization, both musically and culturally. And touring with them and growing up in that choir really instilled me with a sense of 
pride of place for sure and the role that music plays in culture and how important it is um, and all my musicianship you know soulfish and all of that stuff came came from that choir so was this a general love of music or were there one or two or three moments that you can specifically remember mm. saying to yourself this is what I need to be doing I always knew that I had to do it but I didn't always think I would pursue it as a career I mean I, I loved it I when I was composing from the time I was from the time I started piano lessons like in, in kindergarten I just didn't know that I'd, like that being creative with with the notes I was learning was was not something that that everybody did it was just like finger painting or something to me it was super fun and uh, and creative so I just always did that I didn't know that I, it could be a job mm-hmm. <laughs> um, until very late and in fact in grade 12 I was applying to engineering schools I was going to be an electrical engineer I had gotten into Waterloo scholarship offer everything I did the exact same thing. Uh, really yeah, <laughs> I, did. I have a business degree first yeah so but I pursued engineering right out of high school because I just didn't know yeah I just what assumed I that's do. okay I would get a good job and always enjoy music mm-hmm. and um, and then I came across, I, I was really enjoying composing and not every program allowed you to start a composition degree in the first year, but I came across the UBC program. Actually, mm-hmm. my mom found it. I'm sure she's still kicking herself for telling me about this <laughs> program because I still live in BC, but, um, she, uh, she found this, this composition program. Oh, Hey, I think I've heard of Stephen Chapman and I'd sung his works in, oh, yeah. in high school and. So it, I applied, and that's, that's it. Uh, and then I, I thought, okay, I'll get, get these four years, you know, get music out of my system, just take this time, really enrich myself, and then I'll go back and do engineering. But that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and I doubt that will happen. Yeah. Uh, talking about composition, you also pursued being a singer, or you still are a singer. Yeah. But... It sounds like you did conducting, composing, singing. Is there a certain order to them? Have they always been lockstep? How has that yeah. worked with what you're pursuing now? I think I, I kind of need all of them to feel really fulfilled, but they just take turns taking priority. Um, singing has, has never been a, a full priority. My, my major in my undergraduate was, was composition with mm-hmm. a secondary in voice, and then... My master's is in conducting, but I took voice lessons throughout, and 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 singing has been my kind of outlet and my connection to to the great conductors that I've been able to work with, yes. and um, the performance experiences I've been able to have, and the tours and the things that have really enriched um, my career have been through singing, even though it's not something that I'm. So if if it's pursuing. been through singing, uh, who are the people that taught you? singing throughout your life yeah well singing choir was the first thing um and growing up in that youth choir I got a really solid foundation in vocal technique and um and then I started actually uh, my piano teacher Chad Stride was um preparing me for my grade 10 exam and I was in junior high RCM that is piano exam and uh, my wrist started to hurt and my arm started to hurt so I started doing physio and and the more the more injured my wrist 
got, but the more time of our lesson was taken up with voice. So <laughs> I think I had an hour and a half with him every week, and then it became an hour of piano and half an hour of voice. Oh, because why not? You know, we don't want to wear out your arm. And, and then it was 45 and 45. And mm. then by the end of high school, I was just taking really intense voice lessons. Wow. Um, and he was equally qualified in both <laughs> fields and, and was, yeah, my first, my first voice teacher. Uh, and then at UBC, that, that was my instrument. So I studied with Bruce Pullen for two years until he retired. Okay. Um, he was a really major mentor as a both conductor and, and vocal pedagogue. Mm -hmm. And then Marisa Gaetan, who, was, who really kind of helped me get to the next level of maturity in my singing. Then and at Yale, it was Judith Malafronte, who's kind of a medieval specialist, okay. actually, and was really fascinating to work with. So... so Let's jump forward now then to Canzona because yeah. you brought up medieval, uh -huh. which isn't exactly what Canzona does, but <laughs> from medieval to Baroque mm -hmm. is a relatively small step. Now yep. that we look back in time, I'm sure at the time it wasn't a small yeah. step, yeah. <laughs> but what brought on the want from you to say, I really want to dig into Baroque. Yeah. This is a great opportunity. Let's, let's mm -hmm. do Canzona. I'd love to be the artistic director. Yeah. I think if you go way back, then it was just sort of the the character of my voice was always suited to early music. So that was my gateway into the really formative musical experiences that I had in, in university and in grad school. I worked a lot with Masaki Suzuki of Bakkei in Japan and toured to Japan with him. And, and, and he influenced a lot of the way I interpret Bach. Obviously, mm -hmm. he's like... God, when it comes to interpreting Bach, um, and I masterclassed with Helmut Rilling and worked with um, with people who were really steeped in that world. And then when I heard that Winnipeg, first of all, had a choir that specialized in Baroque <laughs> music, and secondly that they were looking for an artistic director, I thought this would be a really, really exciting opportunity to to kind of bring those worlds together as a conductor mm -hmm. and um, and interpreter with with a group of people who were kind of already on board um, so it, it worked out really well they, they have two main series concerts per season typically mm -hmm. next year we're looking at doing three it's a big 30th anniversary year um, but still manageable while keeping up the things I have in other cities so it it felt like it might be a good fit and and they took a chance on me and uh so <laughs> far so good <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds like it's been an amazing opportunity now I had the opportunity to come and see you conduct the first concert yeah. of your time with Canzona mm -hmm. and it went extremely well oh, thanks uh, I know that the choir felt very good about it uh, knowing quite a bit of the choir and yeah. being a former member myself <laughs> uh, it seems like they made the right choice here going with you well, thank and you. so I'm very excited what that holds for you and for Canzona moving forward because yeah. even though Canzona is steeped in tradition here in the Manitoba choral community yeah. and Manitoba has a very strong choral community yeah. uh, there's still opportunity obviously to change to move yeah. forward however that change occurs just the fact that it's no longer Henry or Elroy and now mm -hmm. it's you that's a big change yeah. so what is the direction now I personally am very excited regardless of if I'm a singer or not a singer yeah. in Canzona to see the direction going forward well I think our biggest question is sort of what why is this repertoire important 
to us. Why did we fall in love with it in the first place? Mm -hmm. And kind of asking ourselves all of those questions now as we present this music in 2018 in Winnipeg, Manitoba, um, finding finding connections. And I love that process. And every rep, every piece of repertoire has a different answer to that question. Yes. But um, I think the answer is always yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Those two projects are Cora Canzona. Mm -hmm. You're a composer, a conductor, and a singer. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick only one, ah. yes, <laughs> that you could do, what is it and why would you choose that? And you, you really do have to choose in this process. Okay, okay. <laughs> choose one of composer, conductor, singer? Yes. At the moment, I think I would choose conductor because... I have all the music ever written at my fingertips, mm -hmm. more than I could ever write myself. Well, and even your and own music, right? You can conduct well, sure. your own yeah. composition. And I, I'm not introverted enough to be a full-time composer. <laughs> I think I'm right on the on the cusp. And if I am secluded in a room for too long by myself, I, I'm not happy. But I'm really happy when I'm interacting with people and collectively making artistic decisions and, and figuring out ways to bring meaningful connections between pieces of repertoire and, and trying to elicit a certain um, interpretation or, or feeling from singers and instrumentalists. Um, I, I really love that process. So if you had a choice of working with a large 100 person professional choir mm. or a medium sized let's say 32 mm -hmm. person professional uh, choir mm -hmm. or let's say on the smaller chamber side 12 right if you're saying you you mostly be a conductor mm -hmm. then where do you fall in those realms would you yeah. rather be a large instrumentation 100 people mm -hmm. that know exactly how to sing or as it goes down the scale exciting. Well, <laughs> can I be tricky and, and say the hundred person one, but we'd have like a chamber group within it. Yes, so that, would yes, <laughs> that would step out every so often and do something exactly, else. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very um, good answer. Yeah, because yeah. I love the symphonic repertoire too, and the and the major oratorios. Okay. And, um, in my work with the Bach Choir in Vancouver, I get to get my hands on on some of that repertoire. How many um, singers in? There's about ninety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. They make a big sound. So our concert next month is actually my show with them this year. Okay. Um, super fun. I really enjoy working with that size of group. It's a totally different dynamic. You know, when I work with Kanzana, there's 20 singers, and I dress people by name, and everybody knows each other. And it's a different beast when you have... <laughs> A hundred singers, and you're working towards a, a common goal. It's a different style. And maybe forgetting names yeah. every so often. Never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I would. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard. But if they come to rehearsal every week, then they're safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, as you move forward and make progressions in your own life, both as a professional and personally, mm -hmm. and you look back at what you've done. I'm so curious in this question all the time. Are you an introvert by nature or mm -hmm. an extrovert by nature uh, throughout your entire path? Or have you had to learn how to be one or the other to sort of mix with the one that you actually are at heart with? Right. 
Yeah, it's a good question, and it's one that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, when I took the Myers Briggs, I was fifty-fifty. Yes, you know, <laughs> so I, am I. So wow, interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm I a learned I'm extrovert. Like, I think I might be as well because I definitely, you know, when they talk about the definition of introvert as or extrovert as where you go to recharge, like mm-hmm. where you go to feel like safe and and recharge your batteries, that's definitely my alone time. Yeah. So I think by definition I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. but I also can't be there for too long. Yeah. So I've I've worked hard at at um, being really present in large groups of people and um, and I, I now I kind of thrive on that so I always attribute that personally to my time as a performer yeah uh, I was when I go through university I was training to be an accountant right in the beginning so I, d- I did engineering for a year didn't like it uh-huh. did accounting for four years didn't like it but ended up getting a degree anyways wow. and then went the step of well, why not being an opera singer? Wow. And when you get on stage, you don't have a choice. No. You have to be yeah. much more open, much more giving. Yeah. And that really taught me how to be an extrovert. I stuck my foot in my mouth enough yep. times <laughs> to know how to not say the wrong thing, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm older, so now I'm comfortable being myself yep. and talking and being that extrovert and going back to my place and being an introvert on right. my alone time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you believe that... The singing has contributed to your ability. Definitely, definitely, and actually, my whole like even from from childhood, because I was, I, I apparently when I was really young, I, I would sing all the time according to my parents, and then but when I started school, I just stopped, and I was totally embarrassed, and I wouldn't sing a note in front of anybody. I played the piano, but I wouldn't open my mouth and sing a song until I joined choir. I was actually mortified that I had to audition for this choir when I was in grade three. I remember I was almost sick. I was so nervous, but it was the best thing that I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just singing in choir and interacting with other people who were also exposing the most vulnerable part of themselves once a week on Tuesday nights, like, you know, to sing was um, really formative. I can imagine. So wrapping this all in a bowl, mm-hmm. looking at the Canadian choral landscape and you saying, I'm based in Canada. I want to be a choral conductor of let's say your dream a large group with the opportunity for a small chamber group to step Mm -hmm. out if you could describe for yourself in five words or less Mm -hmm. the choral landscape of Canada Mm -hmm. right now and the choral landscape of Canada in 20 years and what you think it would be five words each sure (laughs) and I know I'm putting you on the ball yeah. And I know I told you that there's no gaps in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you might have to think quickly, but I'm very okay. curious to hear. Okay, five words to describe the Canadian crossing now. Um, five or less. Okay. So it could be one word. Okay. Um, exciting. Potential. Uh, high quality with a hyphen. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's still only one word. <laughs> um... Um, vibrant and uh, caring and in 20 years my hope that it would be um, networked um, um, mobile 
Um, still high quality, <laughs> diverse, and still full of potential. Yeah. yeah. You never yeah. want that potential to yeah. disappear. Because mm-hmm. then what's really happening? Mm-hmm. So we talked about that potential. Mm. What excites you the most for Canadian choral mm-hmm. music? And choirs that perform in Canada. Just working with singers who love what they do. I'm coming to Winnipeg and working with Kenzona, who haven't traveled outside of Manitoba, I believe, except for once, and really believing that they are of the quality that any professional choir should be at. Um, there's so much potential for for growth and mm-hmm. for connecting with other choirs that I probably haven't heard of either, you know? And if there are more choirs like Kenzona that are full of amazing singers who love the place where they live, mm-hmm. who love the music that they sing and do it at a world-class level, then I want to meet those choirs and do concerts with them and invite them here and tour and record and do podcasts and um you know and and i think this is the general sense Mm -hmm. here in manitoba is that there is this big opportunity yeah that the landscape has shifted enough in canadian choral music at Mm -hmm. this point where organizations can do this they can actually have these goals and meet these goals yeah where i think that when our ancestors were settling in canada it was much more about uh, how do you sing for your community? Mm-hmm. Because the so community was it was smaller back then mm-hmm. because you didn't have internet. Right. You didn't have the, this wide world that would listen yeah. to your repertoire. You had your very small community. Yeah. Totally changed. Yeah. Now we have a podcast going yeah. <laughs> that someone in Tokyo might listen to. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if you share it with people, they're going to listen. Yep. And it's worldwide. Totally. And I don't want to abandon that local community either i think it's so important to to have a local community of choirs first of all and in winnipeg it's so dense it's amazing even at the professional level there's fantastic choirs Mm -hmm. here and and to to connect and to think about how we can together as a choral community serve the people who who love music and and maybe the people who don't know that they love music yet and reach reach people here first and foremost so final questions Mm -hmm. there's going to be three of them what is your favorite music to listen to when you're relaxing Mm -hmm. not when you're engaged what is your favorite composition choral composition Mm -hmm. of all time and what is your favorite personal composition that you have written and that has been performed okay music i listen to when i'm off the clock mm-hmm. um, I like listening to things I haven't heard before often in the sort of pop folk or R&B kind of genres so I rely a lot on Spotify and Apple Music to to show me new things um, I love a lot of Canadian singer-songwriters Amelia Curran Matt Epp who's mm-hmm. local um, uh, their music kind of speaks to me Leonard Cohen um, the, the the classics um, favorite choral composition of all time I, I think if I didn't say St. Matthew Passion I would be oh. so 
if you're not counting St. Matthew Passion, then the rest of it is all much harder. Okay. But <laughs> we're, since I only we're have counting to pick one, Matthew Passion. then that's great. Um, <laughs> um, and of my own work, that's a, it's a hard question. Um, and it has to be one that has a clip somewhere because I want to ah, include it. Ah, okay, okay. Um, my Imperatism, I wrote when I was... 18? I literally yeah. listened to that right oh, before thanks. coming. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was not written to commission. I wrote it just kind of, it just sort of poured out of me. My grandfather was really sick. I had just moved to BC. Mm-hmm. And he was um, really not well back in St. John's. So I was struggling with being away from home for the first time and losing a family member for the first time. And I wrote the text, the English text that goes with the Latin text um and that i would say it was like a a a moment of inspiration and it's done more than most of my other pieces so Mm -hmm. um it's a rare combination of inspiration and commercial appeal (laughs) 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 as far as choral music goes of course (laughs) well thank you very much thank Uh, you this was a pleasure absolutely i look forward to following your career as Thank it goes you. forward into the future seeing you in mm-hmm. front of a hundred professional singers with <laughs> a small chamber group as well and a big orchestra at some point in the yeah. near future i would think thank you so much and uh yeah hopefully we get Great. to work together or podcast together again sometime in the near future that would be wonderful thanks for having me yes of course